Diana Ross giving us Chain Reaction. Mm, what a good song. A good song to just mellow us up, right? Because, yeah, looking at the deal of the century, I'm sure a lot of us um, are really, we're sitting at the edge of our seats um, and just wanting to know if this deal is going to happen eventually and what it means. It's time for us now to get into the Closet Conversations. And uh, let me remind our sensitive viewers and listeners, in fact, that uh, it's not suitable for anyone under the age of 18 because we're going to be talking about some graphic issues around gender-based violence and and this does also include a bit of sex and we are going to be um, allowing our ourselves to speak frankly and openly about this. A-teamers, the number to dial to interact with us is uh, 0614-104-107 on WhatsApp or call in on 0891-104-207. I'd like to welcome our guest, uh, Karen Reese, who is uh, the Advocacy and Policy Officer at Mosaic Training Service and Healing Centre. Karen, thank you very much for joining us this evening. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure and um, good evening to your listeners. Can you please firstly tell us what you do at Mosaic Training Service and Healing Centre? Mm, of course. So uh, Mosaic is a community-based organisation and we offer services to victims of domestic violence with a large focus on domestic and intimate partner violence. So the services we provide is around access to justice, and we're based in the domestic violence courts in and around, as well as in Gauteng and KZN. And then we also offer services at Tisuzela Care Centers, which is a 24-hour response to victims of sexual violence. Um, and then we offer more longer-term counseling and clinical services, as well as a project around engaging men and boys around issues of gender, gender inequality, and gender-based violence. And finally, we really work with our, um, our beneficiaries of our service around mentoring and training as part of an empowerment component to our, our program. Now, it's very important for us to understand who we are talking to because we are talking about the fact that you as Mosaic Training Service and Healing Center have not only, you know, had a huge impact on our society, but also around the gender-based violence bill and the amendment of it. You know, Karen, we are speaking about a very sensitive issue here. And yes, yes, gender-based violence is not only against uh, females, although that's more prevalent. Mm. We have seen in uh, not-so-distant past that we... There were stories that were reported of young boys in uh, care facilities like hospitals at Charlotte Matlegam who were raped. We have seen and heard of a story of a woman who was raped by police officers Mm. in Makuta police station. Yeah. And obviously this will say to us as South Africans that the laws around gender-based violence and uh, gruesome violent crimes are still too relaxed. When we are talking about the amendment of the bill, could you Mm. please take us through what the current bill says and where you as an organization feel it should be amended? Mm. So um, just in terms of the gender-based violence bill, we don't necessarily have one bill that that really looks at gender-based violence overall. Um, So currently we have three bills that are up for public comments. It's actually closing day tomorrow. Um, But these, these bills really look at three things. So the one is criminal law, so sexual offenses and related matters. And here they're really looking at 
um, you know, what uh, what are some of the provisions that need to be made around the sex offenders register? So it's, it's quite it's quite focused and it's looking at who um, who needs to be put on that register and what will guide um, and regulate who has access to that register and when names can be removed from that register. So just for um, for the interest of your listeners, the Sexual Offences Register was put in place so that anybody that is found or who is convicted of a sexual offence, their name automatically goes onto this register. And it is then available to have names checked against this register, especially if these um, individuals do do want to enter into care work with either children or vulnerable people. Um, so, so it's really up to the the organisation or the service provider to then check against this register. Now, um, in terms of this yes. register, uh, Karen, who then is privy to see this register? Can can anyone in society see it, or does it act a sort of like um, one of those credit bureaus where it's a particular mm. people who can see it? Mm. So there's actually a call at the moment for it to be made public, but we also have. Uh, protection of information act in the in the country so it is it is like you say like a credit bureau list so there needs to be an application made and they um they then would be able to confirm whether this person has a sexual offense um, or is present on the sexual offenses register or not before you continue with uh, the yep. other two, um, uh, you know, laws or the mm-hmm. amendment bills that are up for discussion, let me remind our A-teamers that you can call in and ask your questions around these bills or give us your input around, um, you know, gender-based violence and what we are facing right now. Perhaps you're at home and you are a victim or your neighbor is a victim. How do you then help mm. yourselves or get help? A-teamers, the numbers that you can send us a WhatsApp on is 614 107. You can also SMS for one three nine one. If you'd like to call in, and you are more than welcome to remain anonymous, it's on oh eight nine one one zero four two zero seven. Alternatively, on oh one one seven one four two zero zero six. 011-714-4045. We are speaking to Karen Risi, who is an advocacy and policy officer at Mosaic Training Service and Healing Center. Now, Karen, you were still explaining to us uh, the three various uh, mm. gender-based violence amendment bills that are out for uh, public comment. Mm. So the, the second of the bills is looking at criminal and related matters. Um, and that's what the um, one of the comments you made was around, are our laws actually providing sufficient um, almost punishment for the crime um, that's been committed? And this bill really sets out to, to look at putting in place more stringent measures. Um, the first is to make it more difficult for persons accused of crime um, or convicted of crime involving sexual and gender-based violence to get bail. Um, it also seeks to make it more difficult for persons to um, to get parole. Um, and then it also seeks to increase the minimum sentences for sexual and gender-based violence and femicide. Um, the challenge that we have um, with harsher sentences is that in order for someone to obtain the sentence, there has to be a conviction. And this is one of the, the, the challenges we're seeing, especially around 
of crimes of sexual and gender-based violence is that there is a there is such a small proportion of these cases that make it to trial and then to conviction. Um, and and so that's where we really need to start looking at, and this is general across across all three of those bills, it's become a little bit of a, a South African proverb when it comes to legislation, is that as a country we have incredibly progressive legislation and good, sound legislation. But when it comes to the implementation of that legislation, we're really seeing um, that's where our challenge lies, is to actually implement the legislation as it stands, and in this case, secure conviction so that sentences can be served. Um, so, so that's where, where our concern comes in with relying on legislation to ensure harsher penalties when the convictions are not forthcoming. Mm, mm. And, um, and, 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 and now, when it comes to uh, the public uh, participation, and you've given us mm. al- already the closing date, what are the sort of things that we as the public should be commenting on these bills? Because you'd find that it's organizations such as yourselves that mm. have such an interest that will then participate. But the greater public who are affected by mm. gender-based violence, we don't really understand or know where we should be commenting to have that impact. Mm. So, um, so I'll, I'll, I'll comment on that and then go into the, the third bill. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it's exactly as you say. There isn't, I don't think there is enough sort of um, information that is put out in the public domain about these bills and how to comment. And I think there's also a perception that when you're going to comment on a bill, that you need to have some form of legal background so that you can you can write in very um, legal policy language. But that isn't the case. Um, anybody is able to make a submission, and it's it's as simple as as understanding as a person who may be vulnerable to a certain um, crime or have know someone who's experienced this crime and understand through in trying to access services or justice to to really put it in to um, to the portfolio committee which is um, the details are available online but I can also share it with you to share with your listeners um, what we try to do as an organization is really reach out to firstly our beneficiaries so to people who have used the service um, mosaic services, but also the service of the criminal justice system, but then also reaching out to very local community-based grassroots organizations who carry the majority of this work. They're the first people that um, somebody would reach out to seek help with. They're the people who are available 24-7. So what we try and do is we facilitate an open discussion with those organizations and then provide technical support to bring that before Parliament. Mm. Um, but in terms of commenting, it's really about sharing your experiences of how you've experienced the criminal justice system. So whether it be the courts, police, accessing services through a government department, um, those are the things that legislators need to hear to know what works and what doesn't work so that the law can be responsive that way. Now, let's, let's move on to the third uh, bill that mm. is up for scrutiny. Yeah. So this bill is actually where... Um, 
I would I would probably be able to provide the most comment on. And something that's so pertinent in the country at the moment is around the Domestic Violence Amendment Bill. Now, a couple of weeks ago, our Minister of Police shared the latest crime statistics. And one of the most concerning things in the in the crime statistics is the proportion of crimes, especially violent crimes, that originated in a domestic situation. And if we look at those crime stats, we're looking at figures of about 70% of violent crimes actually emanating from a domestic um, situation. So whether that be in the home where someone's cohabitating or whether it be in an intimate partner relationship, um, or a familial relationship. And that's incredibly concerning because it means that this violence is taking place in, in places where we're supposed to seek solace and safety. Mm. So this bill has... Um, the, the, the current Domestic Violence Act was it came into being in 1998. So the, these are the first amendments to, to this bill. And what... Um, what this bill really seeks to do is to address some practical challenges and gaps that have been identified, um, and in and it, it proposes to to seek to enhance the application of the act to protect victims of of domestic violence. Sure. And um, now this act is there are some really really good additions, um, which we're really excited about. Um, if you don't mind me sharing a couple of those. Some of them are, some of them are involved in in the definition. So before it was quite an old definition of what domestic violence was. There was very little focus on issues of cybercrime or or use of electronic um, social media or WhatsApp or, or text messages. It wasn't really included in the in the last act. This has now been included um, in this act and is is very extensively defined which is a fantastic addition because it means that um, victims of violence in this, in this electronic form are now much more protected and are then able to approach the courts for protection from this crime. Um, and there's also a, a large duty on mobile um, service providers to provide information to the criminal justice system when unpacking these types of crimes. Um, there's also been... The most exciting advancement for, for us in, in terms of this bill is the proposed amendment to allow for electronic applications. Now, for somebody who is experiencing violence, the current system requires that person to leave their home, which they're, especially in the case of intimate partner violence, which they're sharing with their um, abuser, needs to make arrangements to leave the home go to the court closest to where they live or work, uh, most of the time spend the day at the court to make an application, wait for a magistrate to consider that application, and then hear the outcome of the application. And that can take sometimes a day, two days, even up to three days to get that, um, that result. But what the bill now proposes is that victims of violence can actually apply for the protection order online from wherever they are. And that is very exciting for us. Mm. Um, it means that someone does not need to place themselves at danger. We've heard many cases where somebody would go into the court to apply for a protection order and their abuser is waiting outside for them. 
Um, so this is something they can do privately without their abuser knowing, and that's um, really, really exciting. Um, and the other thing is, is a movement of, of governments acknowledging that we need to move into an electronic age for document storage as well. If anybody's been to a court, they'll see that there are piles and piles of boxes which contain the files of persons who have come to apply for protection orders. And this bill makes provision now for that to be put into a central um, electronic repository, which will be available across courts across the country. And, and that's very exciting for, for victims or, or survivors of domestic violence, because now their information is accessible wherever they may be forced to move to. Mm. Um, but one of the most concerning parts of the amendment bill is the proposed amendment or provision that would make it mandatory to report an instance of domestic violence. Um, and what this means is that the bill would impose a legal duty upon any person. So when we say any person, we're not only looking at um, duty bearers, such as police or social workers or health professionals or educators, but we're looking at friends, relatives, neighbors, um, anybody that the survivor of domestic violence may reach out to to say, I'm experiencing this violence. The bill in its current state actually makes it a, an offense, a criminal offense, which is liable to a fine or imprisonment if this person does not report that domestic violence incident to the police or a social worker. Now, this is incredibly concerning because what it really means is that firstly, it criminalizes a support network. So it reduces the amount of help that's available to a, a, a person experiencing violence. Um, but it also actually removes competent adult agency. So adults who are, have full capacity to make their own decisions are actually, that decision is removed from them. And it gets placed in the hands of the person that they've reached out to. And International research does not support um, mandatory reporting as a um, as a way to to strengthen the domestic violence response. So this is something incredibly concerning for us um, because we really worry that it will inhibit help-seeking behaviour of survivors of domestic violence. Karen, let's go to a voice note from our ATMs. Sure. Good evening, uh, South Africans and Patricia. You're speaking to Makanda here in Kulula, Devon. Well, uh, pa- Patricia, it's a good point that your your guest is raising, but I regret that I uh, to stay too much late like this year to listen to what your guest is saying. Well, it's 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 also uh, acceptable that this laws the uh, legislation protecting women and victimhood and what but, but it doesn't boils down to the core issue of the matter, the, the root causes of this crime rather than punishment. We had the people proposing even capital punishment, of which is not going to help us anyway. So I don't think we, this this laws they are going to help us rather than imprisoning men and, and nailing down all them and making them more populated in, in, in prison. 
Sure, Karen, that's a very important point that this uh, guest is, is, is saying, this A-team is saying. The fact mm. that, uh, and I say it's important because it seems like in South Africa, the rule of law actually holds no water. Uh, mm. The law is not feared. So even if the laws are there, they are amended. But like you said earlier, implementing these laws becomes an issue. But he then brings up the point of saying, why don't we just get to the crux and the mm. root cause of these gender-based violence mm. uh, uh, acts? Uh, in, in your studies or in your organization and in your observations, what mm. do you think are some of the root causes of gender-based violence? Mm. So if we're looking at gender-based violence, at its core is power and control. So it's, it's the act of someone imposing their power over someone um, in order to gain control. And often that comes in a very gendered way. So society tells me as um, a man, and, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm intentionally using uh, man and woman because we... From the statistics, we see that a large proportion of crimes are perpetrated by men against women. But I by no means um, dismiss that, that men are also victims of these crimes. Um, but here we see a, um, a man actually exerting their power over a woman who society tells you is the weaker of, of the genders. So, you know, if, we, if we're looking at power and control... And then we look at South Africa and we look at, um, you know, I was really struggling this morning thinking that I live in a country that is the most unequal country in terms of economics. And I just, when, when, I, when I thought about that and I think what society is pushing on or patriarchal views, if you want to say, is pushing on on men and the gendered way that we look at um, and we socialize um, men and, and women around you need to be a breadwinner, you need to earn, you need to... But if we're thinking that almost half our population is currently, of our working age population, is not employed, what does that, what does that do? What does that mean for, for men's vulnerabilities? And often that leads a sense of powerlessness. So we take it into the home and we exert that power. So that's one of those so economics and um, the, the lack of, of income. And um, that, that feeds into and, and acts as a contributing factor. Uh, one of the other factors that we've, we've definitely seen, and we've seen it during, during lockdown as well, and with the restrictions being lifted, is our country's relationship with, with alcohol and, and, and substance abuse and, and the abuse of alcohol. We, as a country, we have a very um, a, a dangerous relationship with alcohol, I almost want to say. And mm. um, we use it to, to numb. We use it as, um, we use it as a way to sort of deal with life's pressures. And that's also part of the legacy that we have as a country. We come from a very violent past where violence was it was the norm and still continues to be the norm in many communities. And that violence is then 
if you're surrounded by violence, it also gets brought into the home. So I think those are, you know, the, the root cause around the need to prove power and to control. But then it's, it's really exacerbated by our history of violence and oppression in the country, um, the continued violence that we're seeing around us and in our communities, and then the, the deep income inequality in our country, um, and then also um, the use of, of um, and abuse of alcohol. Mm. Uh, let's take a bit of a breather. After that, we've got mm. Nanda patiently holding to weigh in on the conversation. Late Night Conversations, Monday to Thursday, 10 p.m. till midnight. We are speaking uh, gender-based violence and uh, the amendment bills that have been put out for public comment and also the impact of the gender-based violence in our society. Mm-hmm. Our guest is Karen Risi, who is an advocacy and policy officer at Mosaic Training Service and Healing Centre. On the line, we've got Ngonde. Ngonde, uh, thank you very much for joining us once again. It's always a pleasure having you. Yes, Ngonde. You know what? You can be condoned if you think Nungurulego, Nunde, and your guest are in Europe, right? Discuss this issue, but they are in Europe. But who happened to be in Africa, Patricia? Mm. I'm saying that because whether you call it the criminal law, justice system, constitution, Patricia, we seem to be using a wrong template. I'll tell you why. Even KGM could have said, these laws are not meant for us, but they are made for us. I can't forget that. Now, Patricia, the objective of sentencing someone, right, irrespective of how long that is, I understand it to be deterrent, punitive, restorative, rehabilitative, okay? Now, these are big words, Patricia, that Miles would call jigoria, okay? We seem to be speaking big English. Let me simplify it for you, Patricia. To me, I, I, I want the guest to comment. If you commented GPV and this clear card that you did, in other words, there's evidence that some people saw you, and there's also a medical report. I don't want to detail what that happens. Right? From the medical report, it can be established that it is you. The DNA can link you. Now, I'm of the view that if you can afford lawyers, right, you must pay for yourself. If you can't, tough, right? In other words, Patricia, it must be for you to feel the pain of what you've done. Because, Patricia, remember, right, just like that, which you can't undo, Patricia, you can't undo, right, the damage made to a victim. Right, the victim will be suffering for a long time. In fact, it will be. It looks like you've actually killed the victim. So, to me, this nice thing of being of having a register and then you've got Paya, blah. You see, Patricia, it is all confusing. I want the guest to comment, Patricia. I want us to to apply these laws with an African view in mind. Right, we must be tough. The person that committed the crime must feel the crime. What is doing time in prison? 
Thank you very much, uh, Ngonde. And uh, before I let you uh, comment on that, Karen, let me uh, go to uh, a voice note so we can just bundle them together because mm-hmm. of time. Good evening, Patricia and the guest. I think the making of the law is not a big problem, but the problem is the application of the law. Does that law have substance? Because there are so many criminals that are getting away no matter they are convicted. So the system itself, the way it works, or the people working within the laws, they're not doing their job. If those that system is changed, or those people, if they start to do their job, then the law will take its course. It doesn't matter how much law is implemented, as long as those people works within the law they don't do their job then the law doesn't help because i think the law is being overpowered by money that's what that's what that's how i see it well on wonder's point and this particular voice note um, come up with the same issue the fact that the laws are there but the implementation of the laws are not strict enough and we need Mm. to come up with solutions around that yeah, I, I completely agree. And that was something that um, I sort of set off with was around, you know, we've got all this legislation. It's mm. very progressive. And as a country, we are often applauded for our legislation. But how that legislation is applied is is where the crux of the matter really lies. Um, so in terms of looking at the law and how, how it's applied, um, I completely agree that when the law is um, is applied and somebody has been proven to be guilty, um, firstly, it can only be proven in a court of law. We know that. And but what happens in between is how how is that evidence actually getting to the courts? How is um, how is the case handled from start to finish so that once it appears in front of a court and goes to trial, that there is actually a conviction. And that's where the gap is. So, you know, we can, we can have um, laws, we can have the systems in place to collect evidence, but if the investigation itself is not done correctly and doesn't make it to court, that, that in itself creates a gap. Um, I want to focus on one of the, the comments that was made around the, the rights of the alleged perpetrator. Mm. So in terms of, you know, it, it's a very fine line because as a country we fought very hard for our constitution and for the Bill of Rights that accompany the constitution. And the argument is often, well, if somebody, if somebody removes or, or violates a human right of somebody else, then they should almost lose their right to that, to their own um, bill of human rights. And, and it's such a, it's such a um, dangerous line to, to blur because at the end of the day, everybody's equal in front of the law and everybody has their right to a fair um, trial. And if we're going to say that everybody has their right to a fair trial, we can't deny somebody access to legal representation because then we go back to if you can afford a lawyer, 
you pay for a lawyer, then you you have a, a much better chance of having a fair trial than somebody who doesn't understand the law that they need to um, defend themselves. And that's why we have the Legal Aid um, Act in place, uh, so that people are, are given a fair chance um, in front of the law. But then we need to talk about, well, what is fair to the victims of violence? And that is the correct implementation of the Act. Um, And I know we're running out of time, and I hope that I could come back and actually talk a little bit more about this. Mm. Um, But I think just one of my closing comments would be around we need to start, we need to stop looking at legislation as as something that happens in the union buildings or happens in parliaments and start looking at, in our communities, how is the law implemented? Yes. And how do we ensure that we have coordinated community responses rather than relying on legislators to tell us how to implement that law? Now, before we do let you go, there's a, a very sad WhatsApp that we've received from one of our uh, A-teamers, and it's, it's an anonymous one. It says, I was sexually abused as a young boy by an older lady, but I never said anything because as a male, when you experience gender-based violence, no one takes you seriously. Mm. But that experience made me to be too protective about my sons. And now Mm -hmm. I'm even neglecting the safety of my daughters. This is is a very sad reality that as much as Mm -hmm. the statistics say that uh, more women are being abused, maybe it's because it's being reported. How many men are being abused and not going out to report because of uh, society? A very sad reality. And definitely, Karen, I, I think it, we, we need to have another discussion with you um, around the elements of uh, gender-based violence and uh, making sure that we find solutions to eradicate them. Yeah, anytime. And firstly, just thank you so much to that listener for being so brave to actually send through that message. And it's something that we, we really do need to start having these conversations because we don't talk about it enough. Mm. We don't talk about what's happening behind closed doors. We don't talk about, um, especially around boys and, and men, what is it that they're experiencing? And I think that if we could open up that space and break down those very harmful and um, negative masculinities, we would see um, that's, that's when we would start seeing a huge reduction in our levels of violence. On that note, uh, Karen, thank you very much for joining us. Looking forward to more conversations with you. Absolute pleasure. A-team, this uh, marks uh, the end of uh, our week together on air. But uh, trust you me, you will not be left all alone. Capable hands are coming in 3 a.m. until 5 a.m. That is Sound Awake with Mandla Shongwe. And uh, you and I can continue interacting on social media platforms. Just hit me up at Patricia Nduli. Don't forget to always use our hashtag SAFMLNC. Until Monday, may goodness and grace lead you to the great heights of success.